Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. We are continuing our series, Year of the Bible. All this year, we're going through the Bible chronologically from beginning to end in 2022. And currently, we are going to finish up a series today where we are in a section of the Bible in the Old Testament. We're looking at really the prophets of the northern kingdom of Israel. So after David's son Solomon, after his reign is over, the kingdom splits. There's a civil war that happens, and just like our country, they'd split north and south. And so there wasn't really a bad guy in this necessarily like there might have been in our situation, but there is north and south, and they are two separate kingdoms. So the northern kingdom is who we're looking at right now. They're still called Israel. Next week, we will start a series looking at the southern kingdom that is called Judah. Now, sometimes people still call it Israel, and so there's that back and forth that is not not a huge deal. But if I'm talking about Judah the next few weeks after today, it's still God's people from the Old Testament. It's, you know, it's in there. But that's just what they called themselves. So we're talking today about the northern kingdom of Israel in this series, We Need to Talk. And this series has been all about sort of the prophets that come through, the na- through this life of the nation of the northern kingdom of Israel, where just like we do sometimes, they kind of will serve God faithfully at times, and then they'll sort of not serve him as faithfully at other times. And sometimes they just go off the rails completely. And so God sends prophets to them to say, hey, you guys have gone off the rails. Hey, you guys are way, you've strayed way too far. We need to really correct here. And what happens is enough time goes by, enough seasons and cycles go by that they have not returned to God, that he finally is going to pronounce judgment on them. And so he says, hey, and so what happens, at the, basically after this week, the kingdom of Assyria comes in and basically destroys the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they capture the people, and then the same thing happens, unfortunately, to the southern kingdom a couple hundred years later. They didn't see what their cousins up north didn't learn from, and so they meet the same type of fate a couple hundred years uh, difference in time. But this, again, the northern kingdom is who we're looking at today. So let me ask you this question. How many of you remember growing up as a kid, going to school, starting your day with the Pledge of Allegiance? Remember doing that? Yeah. I remember doing that. At least in elementary school, we did that for a while. Now, some of you, I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. Some of you remember starting the day with prayer in school, right? Now, I don't remember that. I never, I mean, I had to start my own Bible study club in the morning that got approved by the, by the school to have any kind of, like the, the teacher did not start our classes out in prayer. But for a while, we did do the Pledge of Allegiance. So I, I mentioned that because at the end of that is this, is this phrase, we all know it, it's one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about justice for all. So there are two prophets that we are going to look at today, Amos and Micah. Both, uh, you know, a few chapters long. They're not the shortest, but they're also not the longest. They're considered minor prophets because, not because they're less important, but because what they have to say is shorter. And so they got it done quick. They're like, hey, we're done here. Actually, Amos is not really a prophet. He's a, he's a shepherd. 
that God gives him these prophecies and these visions and he writes them down and records them and we still have them. But he's like, he has this little spurt in the middle, really probably in the middle, late part of his life, where he has this word for the kingdom of Israel. And then Micah also uh, has a word for Israel. And they both have to do with this idea of justice. So as we'll see today, God is very much interested in justice. God is very interested in seeing that justice be done. And he does not like injustice. So we're going to look, let's just look at Amos first. We'll look at him first um, and sort of look at a survey of some of his prophecies to see this theme woven all throughout uh, the prophecy of the uh, prophet Amos. So we're going to start in Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And God just lays it out here for Israel. He just lets them know he's not pleased. So Amos 2, verse 6, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At the religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. So let's notice here at the beginning, this prophecy is not about some outside pagan nation. Okay? He's talking to his people. Israel is behaving unjustly. They are doing things. They are oppressing the poor. They are being dishonorable, God says. They're trampling the helpless. They're shoving aside the oppressed. They're taking advantage of the most vulnerable among them. And God says, I cannot let this go unpunished. God is very much interested in justice. Let's move on down to Amos chapter 5. We'll read a couple sections here. First, Amos chapter 5, verse 7. God says this, again, to his people. He says, you twist justice making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. So notice again here, injustice abounds. They're twisting it. They're corrupting it for their own personal benefit and gain. And then he says, there are some righteous in the nation. There are some people who are trying to stand up for true justice. There are some people who are trying to do the right thing. Some people who maybe are trying to correct the wrongs that are being done. And you treat them like dirt. You mistreat them. And then later, just a couple of verses down, Amos 5, verse 10, God continues here. He says, how you hate honest judges, how you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. And then he promises judgment here. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So God deeply cares about justice. And it's justice for all. Now our modern culture talks a lot about justice. It's all over every social thing all the time. Uh, News headlines, especially the last two or three years, justice, justice, justice is everywhere, okay? So our culture talks about it a lot, and they seem to care about justice a lot, sort of like God does. There's a problem. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to try to stay out of trouble today. (laughs) 
I don't know if I can do it, guys. I just don't know if I can do it. So here's what we're going to do. The problem with our culture today is the culture has turned justice from a people issue into a political issue. I'm already probably getting in trouble, all right? So here, it's just going to get better from here on out, guys. This is, so I've told Kim all week, I hate this sermon. I hate it so much. Uh, and you're going to find out why when we're done. You can already find out. You can already tell why, all right? So here's part of the thing. Per, it's a personal thing with me. So I'm very interested in, in politics. If you didn't know that, now you do. I'm very passionate about politics and events and all that. I'm very opinionated sometimes about certain issues that are political. My goal today is not to be political, However, what we're going to do is look at our culture's view of justice versus an actual biblical view of justice. And you will see that they may sound the same on certain areas, but they are not the same. And the solutions to the problems, the same problems that people that try to solve issues of justice now seem like the same solutions that God might have, but they are not and the results will speak for themselves so we will look at some touchy issues today i will talk about some very divisive subjects today the goal is to see how our culture views justice versus how god views it and and we'll see maybe where we fall into that spectrum so the the way that we're going to frame this is i'm going to give you two mathematical equations that do not equal justice And it'll make sense as we we get going. So basically what we're going to look at is you cannot add anything to justice in order for it to be justice. And you cannot take away anything from justice. Or there are things that you cannot take away in order to maintain justice. So you can't add anything to justice and it equal justice. And if you subtract certain things from justice, it is not justice. That's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to start with this, with, with, uh, not Hosea, that was a couple weeks ago, Amos. Uh, and his, well, how he's kind of viewed justice here, and how we've seen how God, again, God seems to value justice, right? He wants people to do the right thing, and to guard those that need to be guarded, and to help those that need to be helped, and to not oppress them, to not get in their way, to not try to do things for the wrong reasons. So the first thing here is that anything plus justice does not equal justice. So in my effort to get in trouble, let's fill in that blank with a few things, shall we? If you put anything in front of the word justice, it does not equal justice. That's what we're saying. Let's start with the broad one, and then we'll really get into it here. Social justice does not equal justice. Okay? Social justice, let me, let me give you a definition, and this is not official. This is my definition of social justice. Here it is. Ready? It's this. I feel strongly about a specific issue. And I want my personal opinion to be societally championed and legally protected, even if it's extreme and harmful, or I will cause trouble. That is social justice. That does not equal justice. And the issue is the same as we already talked about. I think we can agree on this. The problem with putting anything with justice is the personal becomes political. The issues that affect people the people become secondary and the issue becomes primary and that causes all sorts of damage and harm. So the, the problem, let's talk about specifically social justice and we'll get into a couple of specific issues within that. The problem with social justice first is that many times when social justice is advocated for, for one party to receive justice, another party will, be, will receive injustice. 
So in the end, it doesn't equal what they claim that it does. Let me give you an example. And again, these are broad things that there can be discussions on. There can be some, some room on some things for some disagreement, okay? But we're talking broadly here how the way our culture views justice, social justice first, doesn't work. It doesn't work. So let's look at this one. There's been a, a cry for a couple years now for criminal justice reform. Now, there, are, there is room for that, okay? But usually what our culture wants to do is go to the far extreme of either side of any issue and say that's where we need to go. And on either extreme of any issue is probably not where we need to go. So, let's, so if I had said criminal justice reform 50 years ago, that would have said we need more and harsher laws. Probably, right? Now if I say that, it means the exact opposite. Fewer laws, fewer restrictions on those. And so what we're seeing, I don't know if you've watched the news at all, even like today, what we're seeing, especially in our major cities, is a crime wave like we haven't seen in 50 years because we reverted from one to the other. Now, again, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just stating facts. I watch the news just like you, and I see the policies that we try to impose for the sake of social justice, and I, the results just don't work. They don't work. So when we see these crime waves, I would ask, is justice then being done for the citizens of those cities? No. And I would also say, is justice being done for those who are then breaking laws that are way less restrictive? No. So we have this issue where no one gets justice because we want a specific type of justice. You see how that doesn't work? When we try to get so specific on this, it doesn't work. Even a couple weeks ago, uh, you might have seen this, the, the comedian Dave Chappelle, he was doing his comedy act on stage. A random guy runs up on the stage and attacks him. Well, he had a fake, this is weird, he had a fake gun on him. Inside the fake gun was a real knife. I'm just like, that's a lot of work. Like, let me get, wait, let me, let me get my knife out. And he has to open up the case to get the knife. So it's just weird anyway. So he attacks him on stage. He had some friends behind stage that kind of took care of the attacker for him. But here's the problem. There were at least four felonies this guy committed. But because he committed these felonies in a, in a city, major city, where they have lacked the laws, he wasn't charged with anything. So was justice done to this man? No. Was justice done to the man who was attacked? No. So again, in our, in our effort for social justice, injustice happens on both sides. It doesn't work. And I'll say this, even with the idea of criminal justice reform, again, there are things that we can improve and things that we should do. I, I'm not against that. But I'm saying even within this issue, there are so many different answers to this. Well, does that mean that we need to have like more retribution in our criminal justice system? Or should we just be more like restorative and they go to a counseling center instead of like, you know, a prison? Like there's so many questions. And so it's not just this blanket thing where this one thing is solved so easily. And yet I think many times our culture thinks it's this one answer. It doesn't work. And that's not really what justice is anyway. It's not about this one issue. So it's many, again, many times a problem with social justice is that for one party to receive justice for them, another party receives injustice. Or in some cases, nobody gets justice at all. Here's the second problem with social justice overall, is that many times a perceived injustice is more actually a personal inconvenience. Sometimes with social justice, 
a perceived injustice is really a personal inconvenience. Let me give you one uh, that has also been in the news lately, and that's the issue of abortion. So when a woman says, I have this unplanned, unwanted, that's the word that they're shifting to now. I don't know if you've noticed that in the news lately. It goes from unplanned to now they're just letting it out of the bag, unwanted pregnancy. That is not an injustice. A person inside of another person is not an injustice that's been done to them. Now, there are cases where they will say, you know, rape and incest. So in like one half of 1% of those cases, we can talk about that. That's literally the stats, right? One half of 1% of the 850,000 abortions in this country are in those cases. We can talk about those 50 to 60 cases. That, we can do that. The, the vast majority of them are for convenience. So, uh, and again, uh, don't shout me down. I'm just, you know, I'm just, yeah, anyway. So here's the problem. Again, in order, it's the same thing as the beginning. In this case, in most cases, vast majority of cases, for justice, to, for justice to be given to one person, for another person, it is injustice. So they are deprived, the baby then is deprived of their, our documents tell us, inalienable rights given by God, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So for one person to receive their justice and their freedoms and their rights, another person then doesn't get any of those. Seems like that's not what biblical justice would mandate. That's not justice. And then here's the other thing. I'll get off that one really fast, and we'll get to another one that's going to make us all very uncomfortable in a minute anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but our, I'm, I'm hoping, even if you disagree with some of these things, I'm hoping that you're trying to see there is a bit of separation in maybe how our culture views justice and how what we've just read about justice. It's, it seems pretty simple biblically, and yet our culture tries to make it so, um, so many things that confuse and conflate and divide, which we'll get to that more in a minute too. So here's the other one. Sometimes when we get into social justice, it just goes completely off the rails. So one thing that's been in the news the last few weeks or so, or well, longer than that, uh, has been even like, social media justice like that's that's the weirdest thing i've ever or what does that even mean you can get on facebook it's free if you have the internet it's there twitter's free like it's all free everyone is equal in this okay um, but really and there was actually um, a senator a few weeks ago on twitter who talked about uh, algorithmic justice for everyone so typically what people mean by that is I don't want to hear differing opinions, and so I want to shut those opinions down on social media so that then justice can be done. So, so social justice can be, not always, but can be nothing more than just a power grab. It's not justice, and we'll talk about that more as we get in, into more things. Um, so just hang on. If you haven't already buckled up, here we go. Right? We're, we're, all, we're kind of going up and then on the mamba, and we're, we're, we're going to go. It's going to be a lot of fun here in just a minute, all right? But if you try to add anything to justice, it is not justice in a biblical sense. Um, and here, here's another reason why, and we'll get into a couple more topics here for a minute. Adding anything to justice is ineffective because it makes assumptions that cause division. If you add anything in front of the word justice, it makes assumptions that cause division. This is why, here's the next two we'll talk about, this is why racial justice and economic justice don't work. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad things. I'm saying the way that our culture pursues them doesn't work. They're incomplete because it's a segment of justice. Again, what you're doing is you're, you're not 
I maybe did that, did that the wrong way. You, you are add, you're adding a word to justice, but in that you're taking away something from the overall idea. Okay, so let's look at this first. Racial justice. In the last two years, hundreds of millions of dollars have been raised for racial justice. Can I ask you, how's that going? How are those efforts? Like, do, do we feel closer as a country than we did two or three years ago? Hundreds of millions of dollars have been raised for racial justice, and yet we seem more divided than ever. Why? Because it doesn't work. It's incomplete. It's a segment. It's a part of justice that doesn't work. And this is why, like we said just a second ago, racial justice assumes everyone from each race is exactly the same. That they live the same, think the same, believe the same. I got some stats for you from the Census Bureau, all right? There are 331 million Americans in this country right now. There are 198 million white Americans in this country. Do you think that all 198 million white Americans think exactly the same about everything all the time? Do they all live exactly the same type of life, type of lifestyle? Do they all vote the same? No, they don't. Do they all worship the same, believe? No. But racial justice has to make that assumption. There are 61.2 million Hispanic Americans in the United States. Do all 61.2 million of those people think exactly the same, believe exactly the same, live exactly the same? No, but racial justice must assume that they do. It must group people into races. There are 44.3 million black Americans in this country. Do all 44.3 million of those people think the same, live the same, act the same, believe the same? No, but racial justice must assume that they do for their theory to work. That's the problem, is it assumes and then causes division. Because with racial, here's the thing, racial justice sounds really nice. It's like I could also say, I'm going to start the I Love Puppies organization, right? But it may not be as nice as I think that it is. It may not have the right goals because racial justice causes division because it no matter which race that you want to have justice for, it must, by definition, assume some races are superior to others. Now, those who are pushing for those, that would never say that, but that's, what, that's why it causes division. There's this automatic division that is made. Some races, according to racial justice, are automatically owed something. So then, therefore, it's not that individuals are owed anything, but it's that this whole group that thinks the same, believes the same, acts the same, is all owed the same thing. And so then all these other people from other races then would owe them something for what they are owed. Or some would then, and this is where it gets kind of really nasty, is that then racial justice assumes that some groups of people are automatically ahead and some are automatically behind. That can be in any number of ways. Let me give you a couple of examples about how solutions to this problem don't work in this way, okay? In, in this way that our culture tries to propose. So in 2020, uh, Yale University, a highly esteemed Ivy League school, was under investigation by the federal government, and they found it actually they broke um, federal law, civil rights law. Here's why. They raised the standard for entry for Asian students and lowered the requirements for black students. So that, because two, here, here's, what it's, here's what it is. Too many Asian students were scoring too well, and too many of them were getting into Yale and too few black students were scoring good enough to get in, so there weren't enough of them in, according to the university, so they had to rig the game. 
Can I just say that that is what our culture thinks is social justice? It actually sounds kind of racist to me, honestly, right? It's like, this race, all of them are too smart. This race, all of them are too dumb, and so we got to even the playing field. How is that justice at all? It's not. It's injustice. There's a second story, and also in academia. Last year, there was a Georgetown law professor who was fired because she was caught on an audio tape talking about her class, her law students. And she was lamenting the fact that the lowest students almost every year in her class are black students. They score the lowest, and they fail, and they drop out at the highest rate. She was lamenting this fact, and so she was fired because of being a racist. The reason that was a problem with Georgetown specifically is because they did the same thing that Yale did. They lowered the entrance level standard for black students so they could get in, but then once you're in, now it is actually even. So the problem is these students that would not have otherwise scored enough to make it now can't make it once they're in. And so the law professor is basically complaining about her university, not about these stupid black kids in my class. No, she feels for them because the university has done an injustice to them for the sake of racial justice. So you're going to make them feel like a failure, and you're going to put them in tons of debt, and they're not even going to have a finished degree because you wanted to give them racial justice? That doesn't work. That does not work. The kind of justice that we try to impose in our culture is not justice. Here's one more, and it's this idea of economic justice. It does the same thing. It makes us some, and it, I just, I gotta stop for a second. I'm not trying to be personal with this, all right? I'm not trying to be mean about this. I'm not trying to be overly passionate about this, but I'm saying, with a, our culture being so interested in justice, we do a terrible job at it because we're going about it the wrong way. That's all I'm trying to say. Our culture is terrible at bringing about justice because we go about it the wrong way. So let me get back into it. Economic justice, it also makes assumptions that cause division. It does that because it's only a piece of justice. Because economic justice must divide based on social class. It must. That's the whole crux of it. Okay? And so this is what, here's the bad problem with this. Economic justice, these types of things that we're going to talk about, this is what starts revolutions and wars in countries. This is what starts big problems. It's not, it doesn't solve any problems. It creates more of them. So everyone, based on economic justice, is either evil or they're completely needy. There's no third category. There's no wiggle room. There's no gray area. You're either evil or you're needy, right? Or you're either always a victim or you're always the oppressor based on what's in your bank account or how much is on your paycheck, right? Or how much you have invested in your 401k. It's, that doesn't seem like justice to me. It assumes that everyone, just like racial justice assumes the same things about each race, economic justice assumes everyone in each tax bracket is the same, which is just look around at your neighbors. It's just not the case. Your, your neighbors probably in your, in your neighborhood probably earn about the same amount, but they live different ways, and they value money differently, and they spend it differently, and they save it differently. But economic justice says, well, there are greedy rich people, and then there are, you know, terrible poor people. And there are some greedy poor people that I've met, there's some generous rich people that I know, right? And that's what the Bible, there, there's, this is not really a scripture, but the Bible, if you look at overall when it comes to money with people, there are four categories of people with money. There are the righteous rich, the righteous poor, the unrighteous rich, and the unrighteous poor. That's it. 
So really, there's only two categories of people according to God, righteous and unrighteous. You're, you're, how much money you make and what race you are and what you care about is secondary to the kind of person that you are. And so, but again, economic justice must assume these things to right the wrongs in our society. And so here's the thing about that. Again, what we try to do to solve these inequities don't work. Just over the last two years since COVID started, the federal government has spent trillions with a T, trillions of dollars for the cause of economic justice. Can I ask you, how's the economy doing right now? Do you feel like justice has been you know, given to your economy? Like, do you feel like that has actually worked? That's panned out? It's been money well spent? I don't think so. Again, it's not about let's bash the government. It's not about let's bash these social justice warriors. It's about it doesn't, the way that apart from faith in Christ, the way that we try to pursue justice does not work. It does not end with the goal that we think we have in mind or want to achieve in mind. It doesn't work. Anything you add to justice does not result in justice. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, man, Stephen, you just hate people, don't you? And I would say, I'm an introvert, so kind of. No, no. But you may say, you're telling me I shouldn't care about people, or that God doesn't care about people. That's not, that doesn't sound right. Or you may think, well, it doesn't sound like you value justice very much. You're kind of down on justice today, or you feel like I shouldn't care about these issues or these things or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. True justice, biblical justice, however, is never concerned about specific justice for certain groups of people. Never. We're ta- again, what's the title of a sermon? Justice for all. So Jesus, can I just blow your mind here? Jesus did not care about people groups. He cared about people. Can I give you some examples of that? So when he meets this Samaritan woman at the well and talks to her in the book of John, she's got two strikes against her. She's a woman, sorry ladies, second class citizen in that part of the world, in that time and place in the world. And she's a Samaritan. So Jews and Samaritans don't see eye to eye, don't get along, shouldn't be talking to this woman, especially alone by yourself. This is not right. It's not appropriate. This is not good. Jesus doesn't care about her social class, her race, her gender. She doesn't, he doesn't care about any of that. He sees this woman. He sees that she has a need, and he encounters. He has an encounter with her. He starts a dialogue with her. He doesn't care about people groups. He cares about people. And he had a lot of friends who were women, which is going to be not good for this guy. Like, he, he hangs around women that are not the best kind of women to hang around. A lot of his major followers were women. He didn't care about what social group they belonged to, what gender they were, what ethnicity they were. He cared about the people. Uh, even one of his famous, we talked about Samaritans already, but one of Jesus' most famous stories, the Good Samaritan. Catch this, not a small thing. The Samaritan is the hero of the story. The Jewish priest is the villain in the story. Jesus does this by design, on purpose, because he doesn't care about people groups. He cares about people. He touched the lepers and the lame and the blind. They're outcasts. You can't touch those people. You can't be around them. Now you're unclean. The woman that comes to him with the issue of blood, she's had it for 13 years or so. She comes to him, and she, she shouldn't be out in public. She's unclean. She has to be out by herself. She shouldn't be in society. And yet Jesus doesn't rebuke her for approaching him. He says, your faith has healed you, right? So Jesus, again, I can't say this too many times. Jesus does not care about people groups. He cares about people. And so that's our call. And we see this, this is the power and the uniqueness of Jesus and the gospel. Galatians 3, 28, catch this. Paul writes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, 
male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus intends for the gospel to go to everyone. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He doesn't say, go into the inner city where life's really hard for certain groups of people and make sure that they, you know, can make it. He doesn't say, go into the really good parts of town so you can really build up your bank accounts at your churches because that's really what we need. He doesn't do that. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Don't go into certain parts of the world and preach a different type of gospel that will make sense to them or appeal to them or make them feel good or what. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he says. The gospel is to everyone. And you see here in Galatians 3, the gospel is for everyone. Catch this. All three groups that we've talked about today are in this verse. Ready? He says there are no Jews or Gentiles. Race? Check. No slave or free? Economic? Check. No male or female? Social? Check. All of those that we try to compartmentalize and separate to divide as a society, Jesus says, hey, I can take care of that. Just look at the people, not the group, not the race, not their bank account, not where they live, where they work, how they vote. Look at the people, the individual people. That's how we solve these problems. That's how the gospel solves these problems. It is good news. It is amazing, but that's what justice is. Let's get quickly. The second part won't take nearly as long, so don't worry, okay? Uh, Here's a second equation I want to look at from Micah. This is Micah chapter 6, verse 8, just one verse, really, I think, the key thrust here of this book and this prophet Micah. Micah 6, 8. God says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So again, Micah's concerned about justice being done. However, justice includes these two traits that he lists here. So let's look at these for just a few minutes before we close. If you try to subtract either one of these two traits from Micah 6.8 from justice, you don't get justice. Just like if you try to add to it, you don't get it. If you don't have these two traits, you can't have justice. The first one that he says is justice minus mercy. What does that equal? It equals vengeance. We don't get justice. If we, have, if we try to do justice without mercy, it doesn't equal justice. It equals vengeance. So Batman, famous character here, fights crime, you know, gets the bad guy, that kind of thing. But he always had one rule. He would never kill anyone. So I think it's a pretty, pretty good rule if you're going to fight crime. Don't kill anyone. I like that. That's good. So I don't know if you've seen the newest Batman film. I'm not going to ruin everything for you, but a little bit of a spoiler here maybe. So the newest Batman film is kind of early in Batman's career, and he's kind of learning how to do things, and he's got his own way, and he's pretty violent early on, guys. Like, he's really, like, beating some dudes up hardcore. And it's like, whoa, this is weird, but here's, this is why. So when he beats up this entire gang of thugs, they're like, who are you? And he says, I'm Vengeance. He doesn't say I'm Batman, which is weird. He's only called Batman one time, like a three-hour film. It's called The Batman. It's kind of weird. They only call him that one time. But he calls himself Vengeance. He's kind of known as Vengeance, Vengeance, Vengeance. Near the end of the film, there's one of the criminals, and when someone says something to him, he says, I'm Vengeance. He uses the same term that Batman had used early in the film. So you could say, well, Batman's bad because he's, you know, told, he's been an inspiration to criminals. I'd say, no, no, no. It's not that. It's that he had bad messaging. He saw his job completely wrong. He had justice without mercy, which led to vengeance. Justice minus mercy equals vengeance. It's payback. It's getting even. It's settling scores. It's revenge. It's kind of like this. Uh, You know, a guy breaks up with his girlfriend for another girl, and then the girl that's slighted goes ahead and starts spreading rumors about the new girl. She's such a hussy. 
you know, or whatever. <laughs> and she would defend that by saying, it's justice, you know, that's who, that's who she is. Like, tell me I'm wrong. But the problem is it's justice minus mercy, so it's just simply vengeance. She's not solving any problems. She's not really righting any wrongs. She just wants to feel that person feel pain. Or she wants to feel that person feel shame. She wants to feel that. So it's not mercy. It's, I mean, it's not justice. It's vengeance. Let me give you a better example for maybe our everyday lives today. And this is a simple, small example, and you might even cringe when I say this, but here's an example of justice minus mercy equaling vengeance, and it's simply this. Refusing to accept someone's apology. That's what that is. It's like, ooh, whoa, and I'm like, hey, ooh, whoa, I get it. I'm there with you, okay? So you would say, yeah, but they hurt me. And I would say, yeah, and they're they're trying to start that process of making it right. They're trying to apologize. You know, hopefully it's heartfelt from them. We can't always judge someone's intense, intentions or heart, but yeah, they did, but they're trying to make it right. Or you might say, well, I don't owe them anything. And I would say, right, that's why it's called mercy. You don't necessarily owe them anything, but it's good for both parties involved to just give them mercy and be able to move on from that. And you would say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. And I would say, well, they they don't maybe deserve it, but they need it, and you need to give it to them for your own sake, right? When I try to hold on to that and I become bitter, I don't like the way I, I mean, for a while I kind of like the way I feel, right? But then after it sets in and and I just, I feel kind of gross, I feel kind of ugly, that's not me, right? I don't want to feel that, and so then I have to just let that go. I have to forgive that person. Now, it doesn't let them off the hook for what they did. It doesn't mean that that was good, please do it again. It doesn't, it doesn't even mean that the relationship can't be altered, but it does mean forgiveness is a form of mercy that really is true justice. There may still be consequences to their actions. How they treated you is going to have some, that's, that is justice if it's done in mercy, but without forgiveness, it's just vengeance. It leads to bitterness, it leads to resentment, it leads to hatred, it leads to really nasty, awful things. So forgiveness in our lives doesn't release that person of responsibility but forgiveness does release us of bitterness, which is way better. To do justice, Micah says we have to love mercy. Here's, here's the, second, the second trait that Micah lists. It's not just uh, mercy, but he says walk humbly with your God. So if we try to do justice but take out the humility, it just leads to self-service. Okay? So it's like this. Every time you give a guy at the corner five bucks, you snap a selfie with him to post it online, you know? <laughs> Uh, that's not justice. That's you like trying to get more likes and follows, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it lacks humility. Now, it's fine to share acts of kindness that you do. I'm not saying don't tell any, I did this thing and I can't tell anybody and I feel so guilty. That's not what I'm saying, okay? And it's good to be recognized for doing good things and for promoting justice. That's great. But it, that can't be the point. That can't be the end game or the motivation. I'm going to do this nice deed so I not only feel good, but I look good doing it. That can't, that's not justice. That's just self-promotion. Um, and so here's the thing with that. Here's why it gets a little complicated. There are, like philanthropy, for instance, there are some people who are doing great things, and they want to be noticed because it gets the word out. That's a good thing. That's not always about them, but they have to make sure that it's not, it doesn't turn into them, and that happens, as we'll talk about sometimes all too often, because, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. There are some people who fight for types of justices, and then they become somebody, and they get rich off of that thing, and then they buy all these mansions and have all this money and maybe a movie deal or a, a, a get on Spotify, and then they don't really care about justice as much anymore. Because I got mine. I'm out, guys. You, oh, you know, they, now they don't want economic justice. 
You know, sometimes that's what happens to politicians. They, are, they start out well-meaning, and then they get corrupted by power and wealth, and then they don't really care about the little guys much anymore. There's, I'm not going to name any names. You'll know who I'm talking about probably. There's one in particular the last seven or eight years has gotten very popular on the national stage. When he first started his public national career, he talked about the millionaires and billionaires and how corrupt they were. If you listen to that same guy talk now, he leaves out the millionaire part. You know why? Because he's a millionaire now, right? That's what happens. If we aim for anything other than true justice, flat out, full stop, period, end of story, we become corrupted in one way or another. It's incomplete. It doesn't work. It doesn't lead to justice. Um, so let me give you two examples of this, and then, and then we'll close. So Mother Teresa is a great example of how this, how this can work. So she starts out doing really good work, like caring for the least of these, like literally the poor, the hungry, the starving, the dying, the orphan. Through that work, she becomes an international celebrity. Like, everybody knows who this little woman is, right? Everybody knows, and they will know for decades and decades and decades from now, who this person was and what she did. But why is she so beloved? Why is she so respected? Because she did justice with humility. She never made it about her. Now, the publicity was great for her because she got to say, hey, I'm doing this, and you should give and donate and be a part and adopt orphans and care for those that need to be cared for. That's great. She never made it about her. That's why, this, that's why it worked for her, because she did justice in humility, and it wasn't about her. And I think Jesus is the greatest example of this. Jesus is a pretty famous guy, right? I'd say he's pretty famous. More books have been sold about that guy than anybody else who's ever lived, not even close, uh, and yet he maintained humility. The son of, we'll talk about humility in a couple weeks, so I don't want to spend ton of, and we're also, it's time to go, but anyway, uh, we'll talk about humility in two weeks. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. Okay, Memorial Day weekend. I know we travel. If you can't, if you can't be here, you're going to want to listen to that one. It's, I've already got it done. It's good to go. It's in the can, ready to go. It's good. Uh, but humility, Jesus maintained humility even though he became a celebrity because he, he stayed on message. He made the mission the point. It wasn't about him, even though it is. That's why he's, he's a kind of complicated guy. It is about me, but it isn't about me, but it is about, it's weird. But Jesus somehow did that, and it worked. When we lack humility with justice, we're not helping people, we're using people. When we lack humility with justice, it's not justice. It turns into hypocrisy. It turns into we become corrupted by that. So it's not that I'm better than someone. Oh, poor little them. I'm going to help them. That's not really humble. Or, oh, look at me. Look what all the good stuff. I'm. That's not really humble either. So we want to maintain humility in our justice. So justice is important to God. I, I would say that's very true. And in a way, I'm glad that our culture values justice. I just think we need to kind of go one step further than we really want to go. We need to say it's, it's justice for all. I'm not going to pick and choose this group or that segment or this race or that class that they need it more or they need to give it more or whatever. That, that doesn't help, and we, we've seen that over and over and over again. God is concerned about justice for all. So what it comes down to, again, is the personal aspect. Justice is very much a personal thing. It's about the people, like, like Jesus saw the people. That's what we have to do. So I want to be a person that sees people. I want to be a person that believes in true justice for all people. I want to be the kind of person that fights for justice for all people that need it. I want to be the kind of person who lives that out. And it's not always easy to do or figure out or live out. But by God's grace, through the Holy Spirit's power, we can be people who care about and live out and fight for justice for all. Let's pray. God, I know that today 
lots of topics been kind of talked about and thrown around, and, and we, there's different opinions on different issues with different people, but the whole point is that justice is justice, simply that. It can't be segments, it can't be parts, it can't be slivers, it's just justice for all, and it's, that's why it's such a personal thing. Where I see this person has had an injustice actually done to them, what can I do to help, help them? What part can I play to remedy that? What part have I played maybe in being unjust to someone? How can I right that wrong? How can I seek forgiveness from them? What, how can I mend uh, broken hearts and mend broken fences? And what can I do to be a part of this justice that you do care about? So God, help us to be people that care about justice, but justice for all. And help us to search out what biases we might have when it comes to justice. What are those things that we maybe care too much about in the wrong way? What are those people that we don't care enough about in the wrong way? What are those issues that would just get in the way of actual justice? God, help us to check our hearts, check our motives, check everything about us. Would your Holy Spirit just illuminate a light on my heart, on our minds, on our spirits, to say, I want to be a person of justice, but justice for all. I don't want to be consumed with what the culture thinks about justice because it doesn't work. It's incomplete. It's false. I want to care about true, lasting, biblical justice for all. So God, may our lives truly be different so that we can make a difference. Let us truly care about justice for our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members and our fellow church members. Help us to really seek out those people and give justice for all. And we can make that difference as we all do our part. So I pray that you would help us to live this justice out in our lives as we leave this place today, this week. Give us an awesome, awesome week and bring us back next time ready for more of you in Jesus' name. Amen.